You're listening to A Year of Spiritual Formation. Each episode will share a message covering an aspect of our eight doctrinal focuses for the year. In addition, each series will include a bonus episode of Ask a Theologian, where Pastor Dave will sit down with a theologian to have a conversation about the series topic. Listen in for our second episode in God Unveiled, where we learn about God, the Creator. This topic that we're dealing with right now is, is uh, God and the doctrine of God. We, if, you're, if you're into theology specifically, uh, that would be called theology proper. Uh, the doctrine of God or theology proper. And uh, the first message in the series, I talked about God the Trinity. How many of you heard that? Wave at me, would you? God the Trinity. There's so much richness when we begin to understand that God is the Trinity. And, and I want to keep us focused that we're, what we're talking about here is we're talking about God. We may talk about some other things incidental to that, but we're talking about God because anybody here want to get to know God a little more? Yeah. I mean, isn't that our goal? So we're introducing big ideas on Sundays and then during midweek groups, we encourage you to get together and talk about them and, and kind of wrestle through what that means in your life and how do we apply those things. We don't want just knowledge that we walk away from and not do anything with. We want knowledge to change us. We want revelation to change us. Uh, so today, I'm, I'm talking about uh, God as creator. Okay, everybody say creator. 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 God, God as creator. And as we get to know God, we want to know God as creator. There's some really important things that that, uh, that come to us when we begin to think about God as creator. Uh, we're going to start off with a verse in Psalms, and the uh, media team was giving me a rough time because there's lists and, you know, rows and rows and rows of verses. Because incidentally, I, I actually think that what we talk about should have a biblical basis. It's just one of my, you know, things. And, uh, but that, that somehow if we're talking about God who reveals himself in the Bible, that maybe the Bible should speak for itself, okay? Uh, incidentally, if you don't have a Bible, text the word app to whatever number it was on the screen, and there's a Bible included in the app. How cool is that? Free Bibles with the app. Yeah, all right. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, so Psalm 46, verse 10. We're going to start there. Psalm 46, verse 10. Here's God speaking through the psalmist. He's saying, he says, be still and know that I'm God. God wants us to know him. And we don't know God in our busyness. We don't know God in everything we do, but we know God in the stillness when God speaks to us. And we want to know today as we sit and we, in stillness, we want to hear Creator God speak to us and, and fill us with a greater understanding of who He is today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 really says the whole thing as we start into God the Creator. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Heard that one before? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, science teaches us, indisputably, that space, time, energy, and matter all came into existence at the exact same moment. They call it the Big Bang Theory. And actually, the Bible teaches that space, time, matter, and energy all came into existence at the exact same moment. Science, Big Bang Theory, also teaches that the universe came out of nothing. Incidentally, the Bible teaches that the universe came out of nothing. I think there's some agreement going on here. Now, but here's where it starts to diverge just slightly. Science can't quite figure out how something could come out of nothing. 
But the Bible teaches that it's God who created something out of nothing. And so beginning with that foundational thought, we want to look at creator God. Because if God is the creator, there are some certain things that we have to consider go along with God being creator. If God's creator, then God must be infinitely powerful. Right, I think we can draw that conclusion. If God's creator, God must be infinitely powerful. If God is creator, he must be immeasurably wise to create plants, to create laws, structures, law of gravity, all of those string theory, physics, quantum physics, God must be immeasurably wise. Thirdly, God must be a great artist. The beauty of creation. I mean, we live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Lakes all around us, beauty, vineyards, sunshine, well, rain today. Uh, all, all this beauty that we have around God is a great artist. And God must also be totally generous, all sufficient, all giving, that he would give out of himself and create something for us to enjoy. God's absolutely generous. But also understanding that God is creator affects our perspective and our view on nature and creation itself. So if nature is created, then nature is intelligible, makes sense. It has laws, it, it's rational, it makes sense in how it works. It's no, it's no surprise that historically, science actually came out of the theistic West rather than the pantheistic or the multi-God East. Science developed primarily in countries where God was understood to be the creator. Secondly, if God's the creator, then nature must be inherently good. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a little while. But then, and then the third thing is that nature must be actually real. It's not just an illusion. No, we are not living in the matrix. I can't believe that reference is gone already. That's my favorite movie of all time. How could you not respond to that? We're not living in the matrix. I'm sorry. I will know how to pray for you this week. So let's talk about some stuff about the creator. I want to I go through a number of things and, and follow along with me. If you're taking notes, this is the first note you're going to take. We're going to talk about the creator's intent. The creator's intent. If God's the creator, what was God's intent? Okay, what was God's intent? God's intent is summarized in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. So here's what it says. It says, The Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And just if you're highlighting anything, highlight these next few words. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So at the very beginning, God's intention, God created a garden for us. He created us to live in a garden. That was the picture that God had in mind when he created humanity, when he created the earth, when he created everything else. Now we know that during, you know, historically, and we could read on in chapter 3 and we could read on to these other verses that, you know, we know the story of Adam and Eve and eating the fruit they weren't supposed to and how there were consequences and punishments or things that occurred as a result of that. However, 
What I want you to see today is that God's original intention as creator has not changed. So God created us to live in a garden, and if, you, and if we go now right to the very end of the Bible, so we start in Genesis, let's go right to the end of the Bible in, in, in Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation chapter 2, John is describing this picture that he sees at the end of a restored garden. And here's how he describes it, and this is really interesting, Gen, uh, Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river, and, and starting at the river, if you're marking things down, the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle. Remember, back in Genesis, we said in the middle of the garden. Here it says in the middle of the street, of the great street, the main street in this city, in the middle, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Is that right back in Genesis, God says, I want you to live under the shadow of the tree of life. I want you to live in a garden that is pleasant, that gives you life, and it's life affirming, and it's life encouraging, and you know the benefits of a relationship with me. God intended right from the very beginning that we would live in an environment where we would enjoy his creation and we would enjoy his presence, and his intention has not changed. In fact, if you read the Bible in this context, you'll realize that the whole story between Genesis chapter 2 all the way to Revelation chapter 22 is about how God wants to restore what he first started and everything all the way through, Jesus coming, the Holy Spirit coming to the world is all God wanting to reverse things and restore what he started in your life. So when we look at this, we know what God's intention for us is because he created us, he wants that for us. Making sense? All right, so we know that God has not changed his intentions from creation. He still wants the same thing. Second thing, if you're writing notes, I want you to write this down. The creator's quality. Creator's quality. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 says this. It says, as, it says God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. It wasn't just good. It wasn't just fair. It wasn't excellent. It was very good. It's an emphatic, in the original language, there was, there was, God looked at it all. And this is the sixth day. He's made everything. And he's looking around at it, and he's saying it's very, very good. Now, why is that important? Here's, here's what I want you to understand is this, is early church, and I said that we come from this long history as Christianity. We've wrestled with some issues before. Very early on in Christianity, there was a heresy called Gnosticism. You don't have to remember this. There's no test. But let me explain it to you. Gnosticism, essentially, and let me read this, Gnosticism, or Gnostics, construe the world as um, in, in, in dualistic terms. There's the physical and there's the spiritual. Stay with me, this is important. There's the physical and there's the spiritual. Now, if you were Gnostic in those, in those days, they, they essentially thought that in those two realms, matter and materiality, versus that of the spirit. But their conclusion was that the, everything spiritual was good and earthly was inherently bad. All right? In fact, I'm just telling you this. If you read your Bible a lot, you'll discover that, God, that uh, a lot of the writers talk about your old nature, your sinful nature, and you have to be careful that we don't associate that simply with earth. Okay? Because here's the thing. God created everything good. 
At the end of it, he had created man, he'd created our spirits, he'd created our soul, he'd created everything about us, he'd created the creation around us, and he said it was very, very good. Now, Gnosticism, what it does is it separates those two. It says material things, earthly things, they're going to pass away, they're not good. It's only the spiritual things that are more important. Now, let me put that into a different framework today so you understand it for today. What I feel is more important than what my body actually represents. So, let me kind of express a little bit of some of the Gnostic thinking today. The idea is that what my body says is not so as good or valid as what my mind or my spirit or my emotions feel. So out of all of that come things like body shaming, gender fluidity, neglecting the environmental impact of our actions, pollution. Those are actually all logical and unsurprising conclusions when we devalue the quality of God's creation. Are you with me? See, Jesus died to, see, we got to understand this because sometimes we miss this in church. Jesus didn't just die to save our spirits. He died to save us entirely. In fact, the word in the New Testament that's used to express Jesus' act on the cross is a Greek word called sozo, and it implies everything from our body, our mind, and our spirit being restored. When we separate the two, we walk down a path that's not there because we don't understand that God, the quality of creation is good. God said everything's good. Come on, look, to, look at the person next to you and say, you're very good. Husbands and wives, like really look deep in your eyes. Very good, yeah. All right? See, and, and so that's important. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? That's important because as soon as we separate the two or we say that it's not good, then we draw other conclusions yeah. about our life. Now, here's, here's the third thing. If you're writing down notes, here's the third thing I want you to say is let's talk about the creator's rights. Creator's rights. I, I would say that even for, for us as Christians, creator's rights is a hard thing to do. If God created us, does he have the right to do with us what he wants? If he's not the creator, then it doesn't matter. If he created us, does he have the right to do with us what he wants? I, I know we're hesitant to say yes because that has all sorts of massive implications in our actual life. If God created us, does he have creator's rights? So what does it mean to have creator's rights? So I, I, went, to, I went to Berkeley University and I looked up their definition of copyright because it's all about creator's rights. So here's what it says. It says copyrights protect creative works by ensuring that only creators have the rights to reproduce, distribute, display, perform, and alter those works. Creative works include writing, drawing, artistic works, computer code, computer software, among other things. Creators retain the rights to reproduce, distribute, display, perform, and alter their work. Now, this, this is what I found interesting. If the creator of a work is an individual, the copyright protects distribution of the work for 70 years after the creator's death. So let's apply that to God. If, if God created us, his rights exist for 70 years after his death. Not going to happen. Right? So, so God has a creator's right to us, 
which means he can do with us what he wants, when and if he wants. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says it this way. It says, for we are God's handiwork, right? That's creation. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are created with a purpose. God wants us to do good works, uh, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has creative rights because he created us. There's another verse that I find even more fascinating. It's in the book of Romans. My pages are just stuck for a second. In the book of Romans, it says, um, Romans chapter 9, 20, 21, but who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? God has creator's rights to do with what he creates, whatever he wants. It's not that he's... We talked last week, God is inherently good. God inherently wants us to do well. That means he's going to act in our life in ways that he understands intelligently and intelligently that we may not understand. God has creative rights. So why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Can't God do whatever he wants with us? So, implications. What's the implications if God has creator's rights? How does that apply in our world today? Do I have the right, whether it's legal or not, do I have the right to choose my own, to end my own life by legislation? We talked about this earlier last year. We talked about medical assistance in dying. Okay? Is that something that is creator's rights or is that our right? I'll leave that with you. I'm not going to give you the answer, and so let's wrestle through that. Does God give us, what is the creator's rights when it comes to the beginning of our life and the ending of our life? What are the creator's rights? If God is the creator, does not he have some rights in that area, or have we been guilty of trying to take those rights back to ourselves? Not, we're not trying to teach like light stuff here. You get that, right? We, we want us to think. I, I love a church that thinks. I, I, don't, I don't want to have a church that just repeats. I want a church that thinks because if you just repeat, you don't have the answer if somebody phrases the question wrong. <laughs> you hear me? Okay, creator's right. Second, the, the third thing, or the third thing, I didn't, I didn't number these. I'm not sure what number it is. Third? All right, I'm good. Okay, third thing is this. The creator's distinctiveness. Creator's distinctiveness. Um, a few times in this message, you'll hear me refer back to uh, old heresies because a lot of new things in our world today are old heresies repackaged. And they're still wrong. Creator distinctiveness. So the Bible teaches this, and here's, here's, a, here's another theological word you can write down. Uh, the Bible teaches that God's distinct, separate from the world he created. This is called transcendence. Okay, God is transcended. That means he's not the same as his creation. So in, in theology, the, the term speaks of the relationship between God and his creation. Transcendence is the state of being separate and distinct from his creation. Soren Kierkegaard, who is a theologian, he said it this way. It speaks of God being holy other. Holy other. Now, 
when God is the same as his creation, there's another term for that. It's called pantheism. Am I giving you too many terms here? You doing all right? Okay. Pantheism teaches that the universe is God and God is the universe. Starting to hear a little lights going off? So Hinduism teaches pantheism. Everything is God. Some Buddhism teaches pantheism. Everything is God. Other New Age religions. Um, Christian science. Scientology. Everything is God. So when you hear someone say, we're going to meddle a little bit. When you hear someone say, the universe brought this to me, or I'm putting this out in the universe, they're actually not talking about God. They're talking about pantheism. Okay, this isn't God because God is distinct. And I, you know, and I know we have so many self-help books in our world that we pick these up and, we, and these things just kind of permeate us, but it's not the same God. Maybe you've heard of a gentleman by the name of Eckhart Tolle. Quite popular. Here's something he, Eckhart would say. He says, you are the universe expressing itself as a human for a little while. That is heresy. Okay, that's false teaching. That is not the God we serve. I'm trying to be really clear because I, I don't want to beat around the bush because some of these are important. It's easy to go down that road, okay? God is, it's, it's inherent in God as creator that God isn't part of his creation. He's distinct and separate. Okay? Does that help at all? Does that make sense? All right. I, I know it's helping you, Alex. I'm just wondering if anybody else, because everything helps you. I just love it. And uh, you're just such a great front, front row person. I love it, okay? So Acts chapter 17, verse 24, this is what it says. The God who made the world... And everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and anything else. God's separate from what he created. Okay, everybody say separate. separate. All right, separate from what he created. Okay, here's the next point. Uh, the creator's provision. Okay, creator's provision. If God is creator, he also is provider. Okay, everything came from it. That, that very last verse we read, rather he himself, verse 25, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So there's something about God that is provision. In, uh, in Isaiah 40, verse 28, it says, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Why would the writer... Isaiah, why would he have to say God will not grow tired or weary? He just says he's created everything, so he finished it. But why would he say he'll never grow tired or weary? It's because God continues to provide. All right. There is a, uh, there's another concept, and actually you can write this as the, as the, the next one. It's, it's called providence. Providence. It's not just a school, and, and it's not just a place in Rhode Island. Okay, providence is a term that, uh, that describes um, God's capacity to uh, see ahead and to see things that are in the future and provide for that, that God's involvement, constant involvement in the world. So here's, here's two opposing things that we're trying to understand. One is that God is separate from his creation, but he's not disinterested. Okay, 
So God, God is not the universe. That's not the same thing. It's not the universe. God is personal, but not creation. And when we enter, so God is actively involved in the world because of his personness, but he is not part of everything because of his separateness. That one's going to get messing up in your head. Okay? Not trying to mess you up, but that's, that's I'm, I'm okay with a little messing in my head when it comes to God because God's okay to be a little like that. So there is a, there is a uh, stream of thought, and it's called, if you ever heard the term, it's called deism. Deism, is a, it's, it's been around forever. And basically, deism teaches that, if, uh, that God created the earth, and then he just kind of left it to run by itself. Um, but providence teaches that God's involved. One of the, uh, maybe one of the most famous uh, proponents of something called deism is a guy by the name of that, you might have heard the name before, Thomas Jefferson. You heard that name before? Uh, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, in fact, uh, if we get the picture, Thomas Jefferson, this is a picture of Thomas Jefferson's Bible. It's on, it's on display in the... Uh, it's on display in the, Jeff- in the uh, Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. And uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson, because he did not believe that God was actively involved in the world, guess what he didn't believe in? Miracles. Supernatural. Because, you see, if God is not provident, God's not interested. And so if we say, well, God just created the word, world, put all the laws in place, let it run by itself, yeah. then we don't need Miracles. In fact, there aren't miracles because God's not interested in the world. You, you, you see again while we're just kind of working through this? So God is the creator, uh, and he's, he offers us providence. So providence, so he's involved, he's uh, preserving things. So first and foremost, God is faithful, and he maintains, and he, and he looks after the world and uh, makes sure it happens. I've got just three verses, and I'm doing really good on time today, which uh, I'm I haven't been doing really well on time, so um, I, I realize I'm giving you a lot of stuff. Uh, just so you know, we are putting these podcasts in, in a special uh, podcast. You can access them through the app. It's a year of spiritual formation, so every topic that we're talking about, all the messages, specific messages on that topic are going to be there. Plus, there's going to be some extra bonus content where we're going to talk about some other stuff that uh, is just... We're starting to produce that now, which I'm really excited about. But um, here's, here's three things, just talking about God's providence just before I close. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this. The sun is the radiance, talking about Jesus, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Um, that, is a, that is an incredible verse because if you remember right at the beginning, God created every, the, heaven and the earth. What did he do? He spoke and the word came into existence. And here, the writer to Hebrews says, God sustains everything by that same word. And if God's sus- created by that word, God can sustain you with the same creative power that created you in the first place, which is a really encouraging thing. Um, after he had provided... Uh, for the purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of, his ma- of the majesty in heaven. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, uh, this, is, this is brilliant. It says, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. God sustains us. God sustains us. We stay in him, God sustains us. That means we have a confidence that when we stay in God, God sustains us. God provides for us. God's there for us. God's supports us. God takes us through things. Even when we read the book of Job, which is a depressing book, 
At the end of the book, God, uh, Job says, I, God's still with me. Yeah. Everything else didn't matter. God's still with me. Because why? Because God sustained him through that whole thing. Providence, okay? Last verse, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to turn this over to uh, Taylor again, uh, is in Colossians chapter 1, 16 to 17. I absolutely love uh, I love this. I, you hear me say this a lot when I read a passage. I absolutely love this passage because the Bible, I love the book. Uh, I, I'm an avid reader. I read 50, 60, 70 books a year. My favorite book is the, is the Bible. I, I love the book. And in uh, Colossians chapter 1, 67, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I mean, is that providence of God or what? In him all things hold together. God the creator. God the creator. He's not a disinterested creator. He's not part of creation. He's distinct from creation, and he has rights to our world today. And uh, all those things are, are really important. So, uh, listen, we're going to pray. And uh, I'm just going to pray that God would just kind of take some of that stuff, put it in your heart, make you think about it. I hope today some things you heard uh, make you think, I'm not sure what I think about that. Um, because that's what we need to do. We need to think about it. And we need to process and wrestle it through. Uh, get into your midweek groups and wrestle them through together in community. That's what we want to do. And uh, believing that God's going to transform our lives and, and build a foundation in us that is strong and powerful and unshakable. Thanks for tuning in to a Year of Spiritual Formation podcast. To learn more about C3 Church in Central BC or for additional resources, head to c3church.ca.